Hey everyone, just a quick note before we begin. I realize that this episode is arriving the day that the second episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds has been made available on Paramount+. Plus. But we wanted to make sure that we were able to get the full panel to talk at least about the premiere, and we're going to try to get the full panel to talk about the season going forward. Uh, so that accounts for this delay. I know that Discovery Debrief listeners are uh, used to delays, but this is a pretty special occasion as you're about to learn through this episode in particular. So I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you continue to come along for the ride. And again, just a reminder, especially if anybody new is listening to this episode, Discovery Debrief is a supplement to your watching experience, not a replacement for it. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode. Talking about the series premiere of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Are you listening to Discovery Debrief? And uh, so did I. It's Jason Isaacs, who was, at some point, some version of Captain Lorca. Right now, I'm just a fan. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast setting a course to discuss the future of the final frontier in Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, Prodigy, and more. I'm co-host Chris Clown. I'm joined by our full panel of Star Trek franchise explorers, Rachel Clow. The pain, it is unbearable. <laughs> oh, oh, that's going to go again. I didn't mean to do that. Very fitting Tyler soundtrack for that, for that sentiment. Uh, th- yes, sir. I am merely a cadet on a training rotation, and I'm so pleased to be uh, on the bridge with you today. Thank you, sir. We're glad to have you. And also, do as, as Zap Brannigan would say, do my eyes believe me? Zaki Hassan has returned. No, no agony booth today because I'm a lucky man. <laughs> and finally, of course, last but certainly not least, the incomparable, inconceivable Cicero Holmes. Hit it. <laughs> there's, there's, there are few better words to use when it comes to this. Well, um, Tonight, I've uh, temporarily assumed command once again because I'm a very selfish man. And I'm selfish because this is frankly, and this might sound hyperbolic, but it really isn't. This is an occasion I've waited my entire life for. We're assembled here today to discuss the very first episode of another new series in the ever-expanding Star Trek franchise, This one hits a little differently, though, because not only does it serve as a follow-up to one of the stronger seasons of the franchise's resurgence, but it's a series you could argue has been coming since about 1964? 
The premiere episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds has finally been released, which brings the franchise back to the bridge of the original USS Enterprise, this time under the command of Captain Christopher Pike. So being the selfish man that I am, I want to explain a little bit about why I've been looking forward to this show for so long, because I think it'll be helpful for our listeners to understand how strongly uh, I feel, not just about this show, but about this episode in particular. So I was rather surprised at how overcome with emotion I was just when this episode started. And I have a witness who can attest to this uh, because it didn't take long for for the, for the waterworks to start flowing because this is really a, a concept in a show that goes back to when I was a child and when I should have been uh, maybe doing some Bible studying, uh, the book that I most often had open in my room with the door closed was the Star Trek Encyclopedia by Michael and Denise Okuda with contributions by Doug Drexler and Debbie Merrick. I had the version that was uh, released in I had the first one in 1994, and then I had a hardcover version in that was released in 1997, just after Star Trek First Contact. And that was very much like, <laughs> for all intents and purposes, that was my religious text. I spent so much time poring over that book. And uh, this was the era when I was a kid in the, the, the mid to late 90s, where Star Trek was only really accessible in terms of uh, the original series through reruns, if you were fortunate enough to catch them. Uh, sci-fi marathons were like heaven to me when, uh, when Star Trek TOS marathons came to the sci-fi channel, but also just renting VHS tapes. But even when I did have the chance to rent those VHS tapes, I knew those stories backwards and forwards because of my obsessive reading of the encyclopedia. And as much as I love TOS and I still say it's my favorite show in the entire franchise, uh, I was rather fixated on the entries having to do with the Telosians with Captain Christopher Pike, with Captain Robert April, uh, with number one, with Yeoman Colt. Uh, the cage, for some reason, just like stuck in my my eight to ten year old brain is something that I just wanted to see more from. And this was also unfortunately after I really uh was able to to check in on like comic book series that took place during this time. The material that I had access to was limited. But I always, always wanted to see some sort of official extension of the Star Trek franchise in this period with these characters. And so a couple of years ago, when we did the season one finale recap for Discovery, Rachel captured the moment where the Enterprise appears on the screen and how I freaked the hell out when that happened, when the Enterprise first comes into view. Because all of a sudden, like we had talked on this show about how, oh, we're not going to see the Enterprise. They're talking about the Constitution class, but I don't think, at least I certainly didn't. And if you guys did, then you had the hell of a poker face, but I didn't <laughs> expect the Enterprise. As soon as the Enterprise showed up, I realized that that was all of a sudden something that as a fan was within grasp. And um, so this has been a long time coming. Uh, and as soon as the credits started rolling, it was a, a shockingly emotional moment just to see the beginning of the show, to say nothing about the actual content of the episode that we're going to discuss today. So I said before we started recording, I'm actually afraid of how much I like this show. Uh, so that also, I want to get it out there because I'm probably a little more biased than most of these gentlemen are. Maybe not all of you, but most of you, um, and certainly more biased than the lady of the group. Uh 
because I'm kind of in the tank for this show already. And for <laughs> what it's worth, the first episode uh, justified that. So with that said, with my monologue out of the way and with the table set, the end of the self-indulgence, keeping with the theme of the show itself, what we're going to do here is revive the point-by-point episode discussions of old that we used to do in this show's earliest days. So without further ado, let's get into the premiere episode of this new series, which shares a title with the show itself, Strange New Worlds. So before we actually do start recapping, I would like to get some uh, some overall impressions from everyone. Uh, the, the lucky man that he is, Zachy was able to see this episode first before all of us uh, a while ago. Uh, so he's going to have to be kind of tight-lipped about what he knows about the show for, for the future, which should be an interesting exercise. But I actually would like to throw it to Ty first, just because, Ty, you had told me in a previous episode recording that you're absorbing TOS for the first time. So you have none of the baggage that I do when it comes to absorbing uh, Strange New Worlds, and you're just kind of coming up to speed on the adventures of Captain Kirk. Um, so you're also like probably a more dispassionate, uh, perspective, certainly than me. How did strange new worlds just overall strike you? Yeah. Like I'm more familiar with, um, you know, Christopher Pine or whatever his version <laughs> of the character. Um, this show was awesome. Like, you know, I, like there was a ton of buzz about it and I know a lot of people like I, I kind of was tempering my expectations a little bit, right? Because, um, some of the people who seem most excited about the potential for this show also were some of the people who seem most vitriolic about some of the other new Trek shows that I've really loved. And so I was just a little like, you know, I, I was, trying to be open-minded about it but i was trying to avoid being kind of like pre in the tank right because i just didn't want to necessarily like throw in my lot there like without without knowing what i was what i was getting into i just want to get that clear you know that is a very good idea (laughs) from the from the first images and sounds on the screen um you know i've mentioned a few times on the show i usually watch most things uh with my wife julia i mean we were just constantly turning to one another just with huge grins on our faces just saying this is so cool this is so awesome um the <clears throat> i don't remember if janeway narrated like the pilot of voyager or something but the standard intro for that is is definitely oh yeah you're uh, right Jeez, instrumental so, so it's been this like a long time um and for me like my i think i mentioned on my very first time on the show like my earliest memories of star trek are like as a as a little kid watching tng um like with with my dad and my brothers and stuff like that so that introduction and that narration is still pretty iconic to me but in in sort of a different way um but oh my gosh just yeah like we'll dig into it but i mean it was it was so like what i love about star trek um but it also just like you could kind of feel the the bits of fan service um and it just felt so like exciting and i'm so like we'll we'll talk about it but like i'm one thing i'm really excited about that i just want to mention is like i'm so pumped that we will get time to dig in 
to know these characters on the bridge or at least some of them. I don't know who's sticking around permanently, you know, maybe some are, are temporary and won't be around for long or something like that. But like, you know, in, in disco, we had to wait like three or four, we had to wait like four seasons to have it confirmed. Like, yeah, Oh, is as cool as she seems, right? Like it, it, there is a real depth to the character there. And I don't think we're going to have to wait four seasons to get one episode that's like a little bit of a spinoff and is kind of the side story for Ortegas or um, for Uhura. I mean, obviously, we're going to get plenty of, but oh, man, I'm just, yeah, it, it was awesome, though. Like, it was, you know, one of the most fun times I've had watching TV in, in recent memory, for sure. And it's just left me so, so excited to see uh, what's coming up. Excellent. Very well said. Thank you, Rachel. Uh, I know that there might be a little bit of osmosis in terms of <laughs> me, but your overall impressions before we dig in. Well, it's always great to watch something with somebody who is extremely enthusiastic. Like, so like you don't need to apologize for that because it's really great. And yeah, but you were crying throughout like most of it. <laughs> like which was like I was mostly happy I only cried at the end when I got emotionally destroyed um when I was like oh no it's making me feel hope I can't process this emotion I don't know <laughs> and I, like got overloaded and I started crying but yeah uh I feel similarly to you guys I was so much fun to watch and I just like I loved the little bits of fan service. I adored the like, like oh Captain or oh it's Kirk. I need this Kirk guy, and then it's Sam Kirk. <laughs> like loved it, loved that bait and switch. And I, um, yeah, I mean we'll talk about more about the things I liked, but you know I've. Probably the only, I, I'm not sure, but I think I'm the only person on the panel who is uh, very attracted to men. Um, and I must say that this uh, show really played to that as well with the uh, hot Spock and Scruffy Pike. And, <laughs> and, you know, of course, like Pike being hot, of which he always is. But, you know, I like what? Scruffy Pike, too. Really? So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Look, and it's even worse because I can't grow a beard to save my life. So uh, I feel like that's Anson Mount's quarantine beard because I remember seeing pictures of him in quarantine, like selfies he would take, and I was like, I was like almost angry at how attractive he was. Like I was like, no, no man, man has any excuse to look that good with a crazy quarantine beard. What's going on here? Oh, he found a way. He found a way. Uh, Cicero, your overall impressions of the first episode. I, um, I adore what they are doing with a uh, new, new star Trek. Um, you know, uh, I love discovery. I love the way that it came in. It was audacious. Um, I love the fact that they're taking risks with Picard. Um, they don't always hit, um, but they, they're out there doing something different. And all of the all of the other serialized shows uh, that Paramount Plus has has produced in 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 this franchise, um, I've found some some kinship with. But 
but this is like this is almost and and it almost will sound hyperbolic but this is almost like coming home right like this is almost um first off when you get that narration in the beginning you get the space the final frontier right like the it, it wasn't as emotional for me as it was for you chris and and you know and and i i think that there are there are definitely legions of people for 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 whom it was as emotional for, um, for them as it was for you. Um, I was not amongst those people, but that moment right there definitely made my hair stand up on end. Like, oh yeah, like it's that moment when you finally come home. And you're getting mom's cooking. It's been a long time since you've been home. And you, you know, you smell mom's chicken pot pie. Uh, and and that, you know, it just reminds you like, oh, this is what this is what makes this place special. Right? And 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 like that narration really reminded me of that. And then the rest of the episode confirmed that, right? And the, the fact that we're, uh, to, to to Ty's point, right, the fact that we're not necessarily resetting back to zero um, on, on every episode, but the fact that it is going to be more episodic and that means that the, you know, the through line will be the crew, right? Which means that we will be able to spend time getting to know at least the principal crew members. Um, but they've, they've done a great job of introducing some that I think will, you know, should pay dividends o- over the course of the season. And I, I love that fact. I love the fact that that's going to be the thing that they're going to be doing. And all they have to do is find Star Trek worthy episodes, stories, right? For each episode and not arcs. Um, and I think uh, there's there's a potential for them to be a lot more successful doing that than they have been doing serialized stuff. And uh, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. It it's It feels good right now. Excellent. Whatever you're doing, don't stop, baby. <laughs> well said, as always. Uh, so, Zachy... Um, your journey with new Star Trek, I mean, obviously you've been on this show and you've been far from uh, from a, a, a lamenter, I guess, in terms of the, the current direction of the Star Trek franchise. But, you know, when when things don't hit, you uh, naturally point point that out, as you should when, when when we talk about these new episodes. But considering your journey and considering your uh, your well-documented love of the original series as well, uh, how did this all come together for you, uh, overall? You know, when, when we got our first glimpse of the enterprise at the, the season one finale of discovery, I remember us having a discussion. I, and I, my recollection is talking through sort of having to make the, the mental switch in my head where up until this point, whenever Star Trek revisited, uh, the the technology or, or era of the original series, it they made efforts to make it look like that original series, and the the redesign of the Enterprise marked a break from that. And I remember saying like, I I had to I had to make that adjustment, right? And it it wasn't a big adjustment, but I was like, okay, this is what we're doing now. This is how how we're going to look back on this. And then and and that 
that then made it easier to sort of accept whatever whatever visual changes were going to be in effect. But I but I very distinctly remember Captain Pike beaming onto Discovery, walking onto the bridge of that ship, and being like, "I want." I want a whole show about this. Give me, give me the show. Give me the series. You know, and then as the season progressed, every every little tease that we got made me more confident that we were for sure going to get an enterprise based show. You know, when we saw the bridge of the enterprise, I was like, they're not just going to build that just to break. You know, like this is it's an investment. You know, so I kept moving towards that, and and so I had every confidence that the show. And actually, in fact, it's funny because. Uh, I, I had opportunity to meet Anson Mount a couple of years ago. This would have been probably 2019. And I got a picture with him and he was great to my kids, which I'm so grateful for. And then, you know, I tweeted the picture and I tagged him in it and, and people were commenting and I tweet, I, I posted under that picture. I was like, I posted a gif of somebody being impatient. And I said, this is me being impatiently waiting for them to announce a Captain Pike show. And Anson Mount liked that tweet. And that's when I was like, I think this show is happening because why would he hit like on it, you know? And so, so every, it was like, it was like this march towards destiny. And so the fact that it turned out it, it's a, that it's been made B it's, it's such a, a loving homage to that era of Star Trek and it hits all these bases. And it's such a, in my opinion, it's such a repost by the current minders of the franchise towards all the people who are like, Oh, these people don't know what they're doing. I'm like, yeah, they do. You know, like, you know, cause there's that sense, right. And we, they're entitled fandom, which, which, you know, Star Trek is not the only fandom where people feel entitled, but there's a sense of like, Oh, they hate Star Trek or they hate Star Wars or the, you know, the people who are doing it. And I'm like, well, they might have a different view, but that doesn't mean they hate it. And to me, you look at this and I don't know how you could watch this and feel anything but just a deep well of affinity for specifically the, the, the original series and that, that those characters and, and this real effort to, to work in and around Canon and maybe stretch it at the edges, but trying very hard not to break it. I mean, I appreciate all of that, you know? Yeah. Oh, of course. Very, very well said as usual. Well, um, we we don't have anywhere else to go but to talk about the episode itself. So we've just got a few little sections here that uh, that we've split it into. Again, credit to the uh, the fine editors over at the Star Trek Strange New Worlds page on Wikipedia for providing uh, a very svelte uh, summary of of the episodes. I have uh, bolstered it in places in order to to expand on detail that they just didn't include for brevity purposes. I assume. So let's jump into it. In the 23rd century, Starfleet Admiral Robert April recalls Captain Christopher Pike of the Starship Enterprise from shore leave after Pike's first officer, Una Chin Riley, referred to as number one, goes missing during a first contact mission. Pike is reluctant to return to space and confides in Vulcan science officer Spock, who has just become engaged to T'Pring, that he saw a vision of his own death during their mission with the USS Discovery. So that's a very a basic approach. Um, the way that this episode started, and I, going off on a, a slight tangent here again, uh, I, I mentioned that one of the articles that I would obsessively absorb was April's. 
And uh, just because it seemed like, wow, this is the first captain of the Enterprise. How have we not seen or heard more about this guy? Uh, I got a little flutter in my chest in the first season of Discovery when Saru was Googling how to be a good captain. You remember that one? And April's mm-hmm. name came up alongside Captain Pike's. And so that was a nice little homage. We read uh, the Drastic Measures novel by friend of the show, Dayton Ward, who included Captain Pike at the end of that on the um, the retelling of the Tarsus Four events that traumatized a young James Kirk. And uh, so, but we actually got to see him this time. And he's actually a living, breathing character to potentially explore further. It's saying, it seems like he's going to show up more and I can't tell you how thrilled that makes me, but uh, I love how when Pike is reintroduced in discovery, they added the fact that he was April's first officer and that's how he had his path to command of the enterprise. It's just a very nice uh, way to, to sort of condense things. And it makes sense because that happens. We've seen it before. But um, this was just a beautiful, it, it's a, it's an interesting sort of uh, dichotomy that the show presents at the beginning. Well, the very first thing that we see is the, uh, the alien species that is, it very much looks like a 21st, or an early 21st century United States. But uh, contrasting that with the earthy, uh, you know, natural setting that Pike has placed himself into before uh, Admiral April shows up and kind of interrupts that with a shuttlecraft uh, flying over a horse. I thought that that was just kind of a cool way to set up that, hey, the world has come to claim Captain Pike again. Um, What did you guys make of this opening up through, and even the stuff with Spock, uh, up through the point where uh, Pike actually does agree to return to the Enterprise? Cicero? Yeah, well, this is, I mean... At this point, we're getting the setup. Uh, I, I like the fact that um, Pike feels comfortable enough to confide in Spock. Um, I, I mean, they they clearly have gone through something traumatic, um, both of them, right? Uh, Spock losing his sister, and 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 Pike, um, while also losing his friends and and comrades, seeing his death and and feeling his death. Um, the fact that they were both so candid with each other um, w- was was really great. And it, you know, the, the the one problem that it creates for me is that I feel like there should be a friendship between the two of them that that is as strong as the, the friendship, the brotherhood between Spock and Kirk. Um, and, you know, like... Like it seems like they're bonding right away, and that's you know no, um, it, it's it's definitely a testament to the strength of the actors and the, and the characters and the, and the way that they're portraying them. Um, but it you know the 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 pedantic continuity uh, canon nerd in me uh, is is really worried about like them creating too strong of a bond. Um, because it's, you know, then it's like, well, well, you know, how does, is, is Spock cheating on, on Pike with Kirk? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I, I, if, if I can, if I can, uh, dip in on that, I I, I think what's interesting to me is that there, there, it's, it's a slightly different flavor because there is a bit more of a, if not a mentor mentee, it's kind of a big brother relationship that Pike has with Spock. 
And the other thing is, clearly, there has to be enough of a foundation here that Spock would be willing to throw his entire career away to to help Pike, right? He, sure. he, so, so in other words, like I feel like this entire series will be a journey that makes us fully understand exactly why Spock does what he does in the menagerie. Mm. Yeah, right. the, the yeah, menagerie is definitely like a sticking point with that. I get where you're coming from, Cicero, especially just because you know we understand so much about the the Kirk Spock dynamic and how they clearly uh, developed a, a friendship that uh, is is so legendary in a number of ways. But yeah, I mean, I, I also like the menagerie always stands out as a TOS two. I mean, the only TOS two parter, but just like Spock is really going nuts here. Like he's really doing a lot that puts himself and potentially others at risk. What's so worth that? And if we have a show that answers that question, that's great. But I am with you in the sense that, you know, the, the, the friendship between Spock and Kirk that we know uh, probably has some longer legs with it. Uh, you know, we don't want to see just a, like a copy of that relationship either. Like if, if Pike and Spock are going to have such strong bonds, then it needs to come from a little bit of a different place. And uh, because there is something that I guess Spock and Kirk feel more like peers and Pike mm-hmm. and Spock, it does feel like Pike has some more seniority in, at least sure. in the way that the dynamic has been laid out thus far. But it's a balance they're going to have to walk. So I, I totally understand where you're coming from. Uh, Ty, the opening of the episode, uh, everything up through Pike actually stepping aboard the Enterprise for the first time. How did it strike you? Yeah, you know, like they're playing with pieces that I'm like sort of familiar with, but that don't like maybe have as much weight to me <clears throat> as to some of you guys. Uh, a few things that stood out to me, uh, I really liked them portraying. Uh, I have a good friend whose criticism of Star Trek is always that there's not enough sex, and that makes it unrealistic. Um, I liked the portrayal at the beginning of Pike having uh, an adult um, kind of like fling, you know, uh, recurring fling type of relationship in a way that was felt mature and realistic and not really sensationalized, but did also tell you something about the character. So for me, I just thought seeing that portrayal of that relationship was a little bit of a new flavor for Star Trek, but kind of a, you know, an update that felt like tasteful and made sense. Um, I, I also liked that, uh, April sort of like, you think you're going to get this sequence of Pike, like having this internal battle, right. Of like whether to return. And then he's just like, no, I'm not really asking you to do this. This is an order. Like you have, I don't know, eight hours or something like that, um, before I want you, uh, out there in the enterprise. And so, uh, compared to, especially some, you know, it seems to be pretty common in modern TV, but especially some of the other uh, new Trek shows, um, seeing things move at what feels like a rapid pace at the beginning of a season was really nice. Um, and I, I just, oh man, I just have to tag uh, because Rachel mentioned um, some of the eye candy in this show. Uh, and because my wife, Julia, does not listen to this show. I, I mean, Everyone on this show is gorgeous in some way <laughs> or another. Um, but you mentioned uh, to Pring. Uh, I I don't even want to say anything about it because it's <laughs> inappropriate. But I just thought she was uh, a lovely and classic, <laughs> and I am happy for Spock. 
<laughs> hey, take that someplace else to quote. The book. <laughs> uh, Rachel, you'll, open, you'll be open. you'll be happy to know, Ty, that Tapring is in thirteen episodes according to IMDb, more than any other cast member. That is interesting, huh? All right, well, she uh, she does come back shortly. Yeah. They got they got a lot to unpack there, sure. Because, um, well, Rachel, jump on that first, and then feel free to talk about you know the other attractive people if you want to. But <laughs> when it comes to Spock, because we haven't really touched on him yet, mm-hmm. um, a mock time is one of the most classic episodes of the original series, mm-hmm. and so seeing our introduction to Spock in this show through a relationship that we know is doomed. Sure. Yeah. What did you think of that? Uh, it was surprising uh, because my internal headcanon had always been that they were sort of an arranged marriage that just wasn't going to go anywhere. So I think knowing that they had some sort of relationship, actual relationship beforehand was um, pretty, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then that, and the, like that, I, she has to propose to him and apparently they can have sex when they're not in pawn far, which I did not know. Uh, so I, I'm learning so many things about <laughs> Vulcans and their biology. I'm fascinated. Well, like, I guess just the idea of pawn far to like, they, they just need to then. Right, like it doesn't. They're not restricted. That's right. All the other times. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, also too, like TOS is certainly guilty of making the Vulcans perhaps overly ritualistic. Sure. So you know, having some additional nuance in the courtship rituals, at least, seems appropriate for the modern time. But uh, but yeah, Spock, shirtless Spock. Uh, he's never really Spock's never been a beefcake before. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, I like. I feel like uh, Ethan Peck's been like working out or something. Like he seems a little bit bigger. Ethan um, Peck's, am I right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> nice. Like Ethan Peck's. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, but yeah, like I don't know. I mean, Spock's always been hot. Like women have always loved Spock. That's true. And, like. It is true. I have to say, too, watching them flirt and, you know, that build up to the proposal and everything, it felt like a writing showcase. I mean, like like you were talking about, uh, I think, Zachy, like, you know, how can you say these people don't don't like or don't understand the Star Trek? And we got so many different kind of like flavors, right, of of probably plenty more to come but it was really fun for me to see that playful style of writing that i think is sometimes doesn't land super well in a lot of the star trek that i've seen like it, when tng tries to be playful it's like i don't know it's it's a real crapshoot whether that's gonna <laughs> land right um, somehow I don't know why. <laughs> right like it right uh, conf- it's always ambiguously but inevitably sexist in some way you're right but uh yeah, this just felt like, okay, cool. Like, we're going to get to explore, like I mentioned even before with Pike, these kind of different, all kinds of different uh, tones and themes uh, throughout. How many episodes do we have this season? Do you guys know? Ten, I believe. I believe it's ten, yeah. Cool. 
No, that's cool. Well, before we move along with the plot, Zachy, when it comes to T'Pring specifically, um, and knowing a mock time as well as you do, certainly, uh, you know, we talked before about how maybe this show will help to justify some or additionally justify Spock's actions in the menagerie. Um, what do you think that this, these new stories with T'Pring could maybe do to a rewatch of, of a mock time? Well, as, as it happens, I, I watched the first five and then, and then I did, I, I did revisit a mock time uh, shortly thereafter. And, and I, I'm, I'm assuming that to bring, so uh, uh, she shows up at least one more time that I know uh, as uh, Cicero alluded to, she's probably going to be back more. So I think knowing that we are headed towards the dissolution of this relationship, I think adds this extra texture because clearly Spock like has feelings for her, right? Like, and, and I, and so, so that I think having that baked into when you watch a mock time and knowing like he, he's not just going back to Vulcan, like, Oh, I got to marry this woman. No, he, I mean, he loves her, right. He cares about her and mm-hmm. she's going to break his heart like that. That I like that, that extra time. I mean, to me, it, it's no different than we watch the entire show knowing what's going to happen to Pike. Right. And sure. so, so I mean, and Pike knows what's going to happen to Pike, but uh, you know, the, again, it's it's that element of us knowing uh, where the journey's going that adds nuance to where we are right now in the story. Yeah, yeah, and by that same token, I also appreciated how it just started laying the groundwork for this distaste that she has for chasing him. I think is what she said. So maybe that is a uh, contributing factor to. Uh, to to Ston, apparently, uh, you know, jumping in in Spock's stead. But let's uh, let's move along with the plot. So, uh, the Enterprise travels to the planet Kylie two seven nine, which is in a similar state to twenty first century Earth, and on the brink of civil war. They've reverse engineered a weapon from Starship warp drives after witnessing the Discovery mission in nearby space. But instead of creating faster than light travel, they've created a warp bomb that could inflict untold devastation on the planet. Pike and his crew rescue number one from captivity, but are soon after caught by the planet's authorities when their genetic disguise begins to break down and reveal that they are extraterrestrials. So um, there's a lot to unpack here because this, I feel, is the major moment where it's doing the most Star Trek-y of Star Trek things um, in, in trying to tell us stories about ourselves while also taking place in these fantastical environments. Um, Cicero, the idea, I mean, as someone who is at this point, very familiar with the concept of first contact, the subversion of that and the creation of a bomb, uh, was that unexpected for you? It was certainly unexpected for me, but how did all of that combine for you? Uh, it was definitely unexpected, but also quite obvious when you think about it, right? Like, because they, they set them up as being the analog to American humans in the 21st century at the beginning of the episode, right? Or, or, or at least the latter half of the 20th century, right? Like they, you know, they were in space, they had their mission control center. It sounded very, very American. Um, and then you see these people that are clearly not human, um, but they're American, whatever, whatever their, their version of that was. Um, so if we got some great technology 
that could advance us uh, light years in in terms of uh, technology, you know, scientific advancements. What would we do with it? We we try and kill somebody with it, right? Like that's what we would do. Um, so so yeah, it was like, oh yeah, duh, of course, right? Like that's what they're gonna do. But I love the fact that th- the the Federation, right? The the crew of the Enterprise just became aliens, right? Like they became aliens. They went there. They saw what was going on. They tried to blend in with with the population, and then they started abducting people, right? <laughs> so you know, like, and 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 you know, and then once they were caught, it was take me to to your leader. So like, it was it was awesome to watch us be, you know, us being humans us be the aliens in in that type of scenario where we've always seen it uh the opposite ty you spoke about uh just feeling like this was what you love most about star trek is this what you were talking about um in some ways yeah some parts of it it's like my my favorite uh jamie fox character on the live sketch show says uh, they not us but they us um so yeah i i definitely did like that and i you know i agree with what cicero said about the bomb it's like a kind of obvious analog place to go i i think what made it really star trekky for me sort of comes a, a little bit later that we'll probably talk about where pike um saves the day kind of oh, figures yeah. out a, a bit of a resolution but i did just want to tag uh what you mentioned about them blending in with the population i love that this is clearly going to be an ongoing gimmick is like head to the the sick bay and uh dr mbenga is gonna stand around and crack wise while nurse chapel uh <laughs> changes your dna uh so that you can go on away missions and look like aliens like it, it's gonna obviously they the visual effects are like up to the task and i'm really excited to see them play with that uh going forward yeah most definitely rachel i think you're the most appropriate person to ask about the medical staff because this is the point in the episode in which we are introduced to dr mbenga and to nurse christine chapel and i looked over at you as uh, chapel was explaining how the disguises work kind of like a question and you just immediately shook your head <laughs> like no that's that's not it a was, thing it was gibberish yeah. I, like it. but that's okay that's star trek tech the tech like yeah. that's what it said in the yeah right in the script yeah. biology the biology trade trademark zaki hassan but um when what did you think of of in, being introduced or reintroduced i should say to dr mbanga and to to nurse chapel uh, do you think that we're going to see Dr. Mbenga slap Spock around again? I don't remember that episode. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I I felt like we didn't get very much time with Dr. Mbenga, but like what we did get was enough that like I have warm feeling t- towards him. So I'm excited to get to know him more. Um, I also I like Nurse Chapel. I liked her running around the ship for the looking for the escape <laughs> i lost an alien yeah yeah and i also i just really enjoyed that like when they abducted the people they like 
just quite didn't quite know how to like um like anesthetize them correctly and stuff which and, I, and they tear down the corridor and there's other crew members that, but it's not like security's gonna tackle this guy so they're just like oh okay that person's oh, running, an around. Alien <laughs> running down the corridor it's fine um yeah but i i liked that that's a nice little nod to the fact that like uh, it's 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 such a like silly thing that like everyone in Star Trek has such compatible biologies. You can use the same medical techniques on all of them and stuff. So it's a nice little nod to the fact that if we ever do find aliens, they'll probably be so biologically different from us that uh, we're not gonna be able to breathe the same air but you know <laughs> let alone anesthetize know how to anesthetize them so. that's what cetacean ops are for yeah you know sure. that's, that's, <laughs> the guild uh zaki uh what do you think of the um the the subversion of a typical first contact with the warp bomb but also uh, being reintroduced to these other classic characters that we know from TOS, including Dr. Mbinga, Nurse Chapel, And, I mean, Uhura is certainly in there, too, and she had a pretty big role to play at this point in the episode. Uh, I Yeah, I'll echo what, what uh, Cicero said about, about the warp bomb being thing, some, something that feels entirely of a piece with what uh, stupid current humans would do. <laughs> <laughs> you know uh wow this thing can can make us travel you know across the galaxy let's blow somebody up with it yeah, <laughs> sounds about right um uh, and and i i liked the the you know just it it, it the the subversion of the point of view sort of reminded me of uh uh oh god what it, i think it's called first contact right the episode of, of next generation right um, where Riker is is the alien and people are reacting to him. Uh, as far as yeah. uh, the the legacy characters, you know, it, it's funny because I'm 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 just my interactions with with a lot of other fans. They're they're like twisting themselves in knots about like, well, how can Uhura be? And she doesn't act like she's you know. And what's Christine Chapel doing there? And and I'm like, you know, you got you got to let this go. Like it. It's here. It is, and and you can connect the threads in your head to make it work. But the show is what it is, you know. And I, I really, I don't, I don't have a problem connecting this Christine Chapel to the one we see in the original series, and especially as as the season goes on, it's just we get a little more insight into her character. Uh, I like it, you know. I, I again, you know, one thing I'm realizing, it, it, canon is a prison of the mind, and and it, it's like. Or if, if you let it be, you know, and, and a lot of people want to do that. And I just, I'm like, man, life's too short. I got real things to worry about. And Star Trek is not, it's not a prison for me. It's, it's an escape, you know? Well, you know what? Let's, let's briefly go on a tangent and pursue that line of thought. Hmm. Because there is uh, often, I feel like these debates are very common. And, and I think all of us here, because of our different, levels of familiarity with different kinds of genre fiction are all too familiar with it. Let's pursue this for a second. It's pedantic continuity time. There's an old throwback. Uh, honestly, so I just on my own time, because all I do on my own time is stuff related to Star Trek. Uh, just looking at Ahura's uh, actual canonized history. There really is none. 
Like if people are having to jump through hoops to try and justify this, they don't need to. That's the end of pedantic continuity time. There is no history for Ahura. Really, she's made a couple of mentions. The new shows have actually done a lot to establish what she did later in her career. Um, but her first assignment uh, has now been established by this show. So, yes, there have been rafts of material having to do with the TOS crew, every member of the TOS crew from before they joined the Enterprise, during Kirk's five-year mission specifically. However, that's not canon. And any Star Trek fan worth their salt, I'm sorry, should know that. They don't need to be jumping through these hoops. It is totally viable for a cadet to be to, to be getting field time on a starship on the bridge of what is conceivably at least, I mean, they haven't codified it. I don't think specifically, but for all intents and purposes, the enterprise is the flagship of the Federation. Maybe they even said it was in, in discovery when Pike was jumping down Admiral Cornwell's throat about not participating in the war. But if you want to get into the continuity mechanics of Ahura's time before the enterprise, this show gets to write that because frankly, they didn't have the foresight to give her that substantive history before. So what are you getting bent out of shape about? And the same is really true of Nurse Chapel. Like we know a couple of details about her early life, but they're really bits and pieces. We don't know a ton about her career or what her focuses have been. So this show gets to play with those things. And what's wrong with bringing those characters in? I don't like I am the nerdiest Star Trek canon I don't want to say gatekeeper because I don't think I do that, but I know this pretty well uh, in comparison to most people, present company accepted, but there's very few justifications to jump down this show's throat from that basis. So that just leads me to believe that's not what you really think. You're trying to jump at this show from another angle. You just don't want to say the quiet part out loud. Well, you know, if, if I can, respond to that i think i think what i've found is oftentimes people's complaints about canon come down to well now this new thing means my knowledge is incomplete like i was the expert and now you're telling me i'm no longer the expert and so it comes from this place of of personal injury and and i mean i can uh, attest to people's reactions 20 years ago more than 20 years ago when enterprise was announced and it was you know, here's this is the first enterprise, and it's Jonathan Archer. And what that? No, there is no uh, first enterprise. There's no the the first enterprise is NCC one seven zero one, and they just say, well, no, I mean that now now this is it, right? That, like it's all fiction, buddy. It's it's whatever it is, and people <laughs> like got real upset about that, right? And you see it with Michael Burnham. Well, Spock didn't have a sister. Well, now he does, <laughs> right? And and yeah, I remember ta- it's you know with with uh, I, I just had this discussion with somebody a couple of days ago where somebody's like I think it's BS that Spock had a sister we never heard about the sister and I'm like how many episodes uh, and movies about Star Trek mention Spock's brother Cybok once and he's never mentioned again how many times was Sam Kirk mentioned once and never again it's canon until it isn't <laughs> yeah. or it's not canon until it is rather right I mean that's just how it is. Well, yeah. And I mean, it's just people in denial about who actually gets to determine what is and isn't canon. The people who make the shows, that's what they get to decide. And if you're going to approach it from the basis of fidelity to the canon, that's just a, a, a sham of a justification for the grievances that you're trying to to talk about. And oh, no, 
your information is out of date, then watch the damn show. It's not that hard. Your information can rather quickly get up to date by just watching the new shows. But I don't like them. Well, then devote yourself to something else because, uh, okay, you knew Star Trek at a at a preserved point in, in Amber, right? And you don't want to keep up with it anymore. So say goodbye. You know, don't get all bent out of shape about it. Can I uh, say and ask something that might further upset the the audience that we are discussing? Uh, <laughs> I I didn't know until I guess maybe this conversation uh, that Benga and uh, April were returning characters. Uh, those were individuals I was not yet familiar with, and I just want to ask about uh, Laan, our new security officer. Is this a character that we are already familiar with? No. Or is this- Okay, cool. And April is tricky just because he has been mentioned in other things. Uh, and he did have an appearance in the animated series, but the, the canonicity of the animated series is rather dubiously defined, at least right now, and might be a little more dubiously defined after this episode in particular. However, um, what like in the Star Trek Encyclopedia article that I read, the Okudas talked about how they had a picture of Gene Roddenberry that had a Starfleet uniform photoshopped onto it. That was Robert April. That was the image that we knew of Robert April for a long time afterward. So um, but, but Dr. Mbenga was Nick. only in it. Oh yeah, please. <laughs> no, I, was, I mean, Robert April is such a perfect example. He existed in one episode of the cartoon and he was a white guy. And now he's uncle Phil. He's the new uncle Phil and people are losing their minds. And, and I, I, I was naive enough to think there was no way people could find a way to complain about this. Because I, I, when I saw the first episode, I was like, oh, Robert April, oh my gosh. And naively, I was like, that is crazy. The first captain of the Enterprise is Uncle Phil. you know. And, and like three days later, Twitter had a meltdown because he was white in one cartoon show. 40 years ago, 50 years ago almost, and now now he's he's black, and that's we that's unconscionable. Yeah, well, I mean, I these just thought... Star Trek he, fans. These are Star Trek right. fans. Yeah, yeah, people who... Uh, I lamented the fact that it seems like a fair amount of vocal Twitter Star Trek fans seem to agree with the likes of Colonel Green these days, which is very disconcerting, but, um, you know, I, I certainly can't speak to a level of authority. Cicero, what did you make of the recasting of Captain April or I should say Admiral April now that, uh, that Zachy has brought that component up. Um, well, uh, I mean, there are isms in the world (laughs) and there is, there is one ism that, that trumps them all. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm no stranger to that ism and, uh, and it never surprises me when that ism, uh, does what it does because it will do what it does and it is uh very very consistent um and 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 um resilient but but look i lament the fact that you two gentlemen and and as a result of being in the show that i i've i've definitely fallen more into trek twitter um but I have, I lament for for the two of you. You have also fallen into the Trek Twitter where where the shit posting is happening, huh. and I either I'm not in that portion of Trek Twitter, or I just 
don't engage in 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 those conversations. So I I generally get to miss them. Um, but but I know that they exist. Let me just briefly say real fast, yes. because on that point, uh, when things piss you off, it's easy to want to talk more about that. And I certainly Absolutely. fall into that trap a lot. 100 really shouldn't. There 100%. are some wonderful people uh, yes. that are active on Star Trek Twitter. And I wish that we could all just leave and go somewhere else and just talk about Star Trek and be happy because right. that's honestly like Star Trek Twitter the real Star Trek Twitter, where the vast majority of the material originates from. That's like 95% of the reason I'm even on Twitter is because of Star Trek Twitter. And that's because of the very good people that are there. Friends of the show, certainly, that we've met because of of that rather tight-knit, open, and accepting community who are all too able and willing to... uh, to embrace the uh, the ideals of infinite diversity and infinite combinations, you know those are those are the good ones. And I don't want to minimize the existence of those people. It's just a shame when those yeah. arguments that Zachy alludes to and right. that you've alluded to manage to creep into the edges. But they, you are absolutely right to point that out. They just creep in at the edges, and they certainly don't define. Uh, right. that sometimes segment. it almost well, feels like there's some kind of darn algorithm feeding them oh, to you because yeah. anger is an engaging right. emotion. What is this you say? Uh, but, but, but I do, I do want to say that it is important that we still have right. Like, so uh, infinite diversity in infinite combinations includes the shit posters. Yes. Right. So, so in, in that way, I welcome that. Right. Because we, you, you can't have a, a utopia where everywhere is a hegemony, right. Is basically the Borg, right. It's a collective. And, and that's not, that's not what we're here for. Right. We, we need some diversity of thought. We need some opposition. We need people to come in and say that this is, you know, that this is a problem Uh, and that that helps further things along. That helps progress. Yep. Very well said. Well, um, just let's move along with the plot because there's a lot more we could unpack from that if we want to. But uh, we'll we'll leave that for another time. But uh, so later on in the episode, Pike ultimately chooses to break Starfleet's General Order 1 by interfering in the society to convince them not to use the weapon that they have just developed. One of the ways they accomplish this, they being the crew of the Enterprise, is by showing this society the deleterious impact of and effects of hyperpartisanship, which on Earth led to the outbreak of the Third World War and total global devastation that killed a third of the planet's population. Earth's example helps to convince the leaders of this planet to avoid their destruction by finding a better, more peaceful path, potentially through membership with the Federation. So this is really like the money point. This is what Tyler had alluded to before about Captain Pike uh, doing what he can to try and dissuade a, a terrible outcome that is all too familiar. And there's a very like, uh, you know, he who is without sin cast the first stone kind of vibe to what Pike is saying to these people. Zachy, in this moment in particular, this is really a major culminating moment of this episode. Um, walk walk us through how this impacted you, especially getting to see it when you did. But um, this is very much like a, a Star Trek 
uh, punctuation. Yeah, well, well, first off, the the fact that you know Pike, Spock, and Lon they they rescue the crew members. They're about to be beamed up, and then Pike finds out the reason that you know the, the how the people got the technology, and he agonizes over it, and he makes the most Star Trek captain of decisions, saying, "Look, this is our fault. We're going to fix this." And that that right there, it's it, you know, it's the dilemma of of command, right? And that's that's you know, that's why these are the characters we, um, we lionize, you know, we, we try, we try to try to emulate hopefully, you know, and the solution he arrives at was it, it, it felt very, uh, very Kirk-like. I mean, it's not, you know, uh, uh, destroying Landry or whatever, but it's, it's that sense of, yes, I'm going to break the rules because there's a greater, there's a principle at work here, you know, and that's, that's, again, it's, it's very much, it's, it's really, I was having this discussion with my brother. I was like the end of the episode. It was like, it was like, it was a Kirk like solution, but a Picard like execution, if that makes sense. Because, you know, he, 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 he does, it's kind of a, it's kind of a who watches the watchers kind of thing, you know, and, uh, and it's, I, 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 here's another cool thing. I'm, I'm my oldest, he's 15 now. And uh, he's like a, he's a Star Trek fan, you know, I mean, he's been a Star Trek fan most of his life, and he gets to really experience this from the ground floor. And, and he watches the end and, and Pike gives a speech and he turns to me, he's like, what a great captain speech, you know, cause he knows Star Trek captains, they give them speeches, you know? And so I, I've watched that. I was telling Chris before we got on, I've watched that speech that Pike gives. I've watched it multiple times and I find it so necessary, so invigorating because it's what we need right now. Like it's like Pike, uh, speaking to us across the chasm of time you know right that's what we need to do and we're at this moment um and that's what star trek is isn't it like that's it's about the idea that we can get past our worst moments and hopefully it won't take world war three to get there and and you know there are days there are weeks like right now where it just feels like as far away as ever the idea that we could ever have that future. And yet that's what that's that's why Star Trek has lasted this long, because it gives us something unlike any other science fiction. It says we're gonna make it. Eventually we'll get there. I don't know. Sorry. I'm like no, <laughs> these are all the thoughts that are bouncing around in my head right now. You're in good company. Um and I think I think that that's very well expressed and it's certainly something that we all want and it's nice that a show is there, but I'll just uh leave you by saying um uh a captain of the enterprise broke the prime directive. That sounds about right. So. A captain of the enterprise necessitated it being called the prime directive. Yeah. 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 Uh, I wonder if, uh, if Luxley would have anything to say about Pike's breaking the temporal prime directive that remains to be seen, but we'll see. Yeah. So I, I would just say that, uh, that third act, the call was coming from inside the house, right? Like they were, <laughs> you were definitely talking about us. Um, you know, that, that entire speech, the, the entire just kind of rollout that, that, uh, that Pike just, that dissertation that Pike gave was, was all about us, you know, and where we are today as we're watching that episode. Yeah. He's talking about me. He is. He is. But at the same time, too, I mean, we kind of need to hear it, right? Like, 
it doesn't feel, or at least it didn't to me, it didn't feel like um, necessarily like a, a, an admonishment as much as just like a gentle warning. Right. It was, maybe, a, it was a cautionary warning. Absolutely. Yeah. That, Absolutely. And, you know, and, but, but, and the, you know, the problem, the problem mostly, right. And, and we've already kind of already, uh, articulated that illustrated that that it's not necessarily true but the problem mostly is that when star trek has these moments where they're um trying to teach these lessons that they're turning around they're preaching to the choir right mostly um as we're learning as people get older um certain certain things don't necessarily certain beliefs and tenets that they hold are kind of incongruent with their their uh their love for this franchise um but for the most part most people uh remain true to it and uh and so it's 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 rough when they give these types of speeches and they say these types of things and they provide that level of hope um which is great for us but we you know i always feel like i'm not the i'm not the audience for this right like i am the audience for this but i'm not the audience that needs to hear this right cuz i already believe this right i maybe, already believe the thing maybe you'll show it to someone who does need to hear it maybe but i did need to hear it though oh, yeah? and i can't okay. be the only person because i feel like i I mean, I, I had to quit social media because it was it would make this worse, but I, I have this feeling so often of like, well, we're fucked. Like, right. there's, <laughs> like there's nothing to do. I don't know. Right. Like, this is, right. like, I can't do anything. Right. Like, um, I think what it's called, it's called being a doomer, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, with doom scrolling. I mean, yeah. Right. Yeah, like a doomer. Like, it's, right. well, we're fucked. There's nothing. You're a, you're a baby doomer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's nothing we can do. Right. And um, for me, just hearing him say that, you know, the future's not written. Like, it's right. still, you can, st- yeah. like, there's still some things can be done is like, yeah. That's what I, I do need to hear that on a regular basis. I do need to hear like, okay, well, what are we going to do? Like, yeah, we like, shit's real bad, but like, what are we, like, what can we do to fix it? Because, you know, you can do things, you can always do something um, or support something. So I, I mean, if it, if it helps people not get into that mindset because I mean the thing that I always tell myself is that you know who wins when I give up trying for you know trying to build a better world well right. you know the oil companies win and the, right. you know the fascists win they want right. me to just be like okay like 100%. whatever um so you know it's it's important for people to remember that, you know, just sure. because things seem bad, the future is not written. Yeah, I guess, I guess that is, that's a great point. I guess my perspective is a little bit different um, because uh, there's never been a time in this country where in the history of this country, where someone who looks like me, like my ancestry has had it in a place where, you know, there was nothing but hope, right? Like the hope that it would get better tomorrow. Right. And, and, you know, so like I, I've, I've, I always live there. Right. I always live with the, you know, shit is fucked up. Right. Cause, 
Because it is, right? Like, if you look like me, it is. And it always is. And, you know, but the, you know, the thing that keeps you from, from just completely losing your mind is watching for incremental, uh, you know, progress and, and having that hope, having, you know, seeing, you know, finding those, those diamonds in the rough and, you know, finding the, 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 the silver linings and, and really accentuating those silver linings and, and doing your best to perpetuate that throughout the communities so that there could be more of those, right? So that the, the, the roads are, are lined with silver. Um, but, but knowing, you know, knowing also that at every single turn, there are going to be so many obstacles in your way. That you just have to, you know, like that. It, it is this eternal fight um, to to keep going, and that, you know. So I guess for me, that's the perspective that I'm coming from. So I'm just like, oh yeah, you know, like here we are. Uh, yeah, I know this one. I've heard this all before. <laughs> Amen. Uh, <laughs> Well, I, I mean, uh, and I think that uh, that lived experience does provide a lot of necessary context. But even with all of that, Cicero, do you feel like, um, I guess, were you disappointed then at the way that, that this came together since it is a song you've heard before? No, 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 not at all. Not at all, right? Like, I, I wasn't disappointed at, at like... I am here for that, right? There, there are definitely times when um, my reservoir for hope is low, right? And um, I, I definitely do come to Star Trek to get that 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 tank replenished, right? Um, a standout moment to me is Episode One of uh, Season Four of Discovery, when when you know uh, Michael Burnham looks with her emotional eyes at the butterfly people and, you know, and says, they ask why you're doing this. And she says, because we're the Federation. That's who we are. You know, that's what we do. And, uh, you know, when she looks at you with those eyes, you just like, Oh, okay. Right. Um, but, but like, but that, that definitely makes my heart grow three sizes that day. Right. And, and this speech was no different in, in that way. Right. Like that, it, you know, um, but, but it, it, my heart wasn't cold, right? Like it wasn't, it, it wasn't going into that, that, that message wasn't going into a heart that needed to be reformed. It was going into a heart that needed to be re-energized. And, and, you know, I would love for it to, for those messages to hit the hearts that need to be reformed. Well, um, uh, in a few hours from the time we're recording this, the first episode is going live on YouTube for a couple of weeks. Oh, so awesome. spread it far and wide. There you yeah. go. Um, Ty, you alluded at the, a, a while back that this was a moment that really stuck with you. Uh, walk us through it. Yeah. Um, like one thing I will say about this episode, just to kind of start with maybe, I guess, sort of a negative, like, you know, like most, I guess this is a pilot. Um, it sort of fills a spot that I think wouldn't, work in some ways in other episodes of the season if this were just some other episode in the bunch i think the change was too big and too dramatic in like right what like the people of uh kylie 279 and kind of the two factions were um like 
Pike really turned this thing around, right? Like, um, and uh, I think, like in TNG, one thing I always appreciated was that often uh, success looked like the beginning of what was always acknowledged to be like a long and complicated process. Um, and that was alluded to here. Like, I don't, I don't think they overdid it, but like there was the sort of like uh, paper cutout of the enterprise that the, the person was holding up that made it feel a little, <laughs> a little strong for me. Right. But um, as because it was the first episode and because they're trying to set a tone, I actually thought that like kind of almost overshooting, right. Like the goodness of the, the impact of the enterprise um, made me excited. Right. Because like sister, I think it was you that mentioned earlier that you're um, kind of hoping we see lots more of these good, like star Trekky kind of plots. And, and it's, there's certainly doesn't seem to be a risk that they're not going to go for it. Right. So that was, that was cool. Um, I guess Cicero, I do, uh, understand what you're saying, um, about the audience thing for me, I guess, like when I see the, the signs that specifically say audit the vote, it's like a mixed feeling thing for me. Right. Part of me is proud that they speak the truth right um and they just say the words that they mean uh and don't beat around the bush but i do you know there's people like to hate on things and i felt like that might be an easy route for somebody to take to just say hey you know it's not just that i don't like this show i you know this show seems like it's out to get you know this show doesn't even seem like it likes me so um but you know what do i think the chances are that that audience is like really likely to watch star trek under any circumstances uh probably pretty low uh but i did like the you know i think it was uh zaki right that mentioned this felt like a i don't know maybe it was one of you guys that said it specifically but it felt like a kirk kind of plan and a picard type of execution and for me picard is the captain that feels like the most home you know my home base captain um and so i really felt that this sort of um firm almost uh parental yet loving uh sort of combination of listening but also taking charge of the situation um and i loved that uh when we went from like the 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 woman is just like hey you know what you're saying is nice, but whoever has the biggest stick wins and he's just like yeah okay i guess if that's the way that we have to do it you're right. And the person with the biggest stick is me. And that's goes back to something that I've always really liked. Uh, and I think this was prominent in the next generation, um, which is like, we're not like, he doesn't have the biggest stick because just like humans are great or something like that. Like you see in a lot of other sci-fi, right? He has the biggest ship because again, he's part of this larger organization and this, like there's these words that people hate, like he's part of this bureaucracy, right? Um, But it's a bureaucracy that organizes people and holds people to standards and, and sets people up to cooperate in a way that enables them to do incredible things. Um, And so I don't mind that they shortcutted how some of those incredible things work in this episode uh, to remind us that, those things are possible and it's not because the force of one person's character is just so overwhelmingly good it's not because of fate or destiny or something like that right it's because we can do it there really is hope like it's it isn't predetermined and people can do incredible things i live in chicago the chicago river used to flow one direction and now it flows a whole different direction um (laughs) 
that seems like super hard to me, right? But people worked together like over a hundred years ago to just like do that. Like people built skyscrapers, like we go to space. It it just it's it's mind-boggling, right? And so to see um Pike kind of try and teach these people the lessons, uh, like again, like almost like a parent, like, hey, I, you know, I have suffered through this. You know, it's uh this is something my people have direct experience with. Please you avoid the same mistakes. I'm a little pessimistic, like, right? Like humans clearly knew what nuclear bombs did when, when, uh, <laughs> world war three, uh, happened on the show and that did not deter them. Uh, so I thought these people were pretty exceptionally like open-minded like, Oh wow. Yeah. Killing people is really bad. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it just, it, this is the part of the show that was emotional for me. Um, I was excited. Like this is the part where I went from smiling and feeling excited and pumped up to kind of feeling like broken and just like, like, yeah, like I need this, you know what I mean? And like, we need this. And like this again, you know, I'm repeating myself, but it's, it's us. It's not this sci-fi about people in a galaxy far, far away, um, that are similar to us. It's, it's us, you know? Um, and so, Kylie was like say this weird like uh, analogy of us um but it's I thought it was just yeah so super relevant and powerful and it really makes me hopeful for where they're going to go with this in the future and just excited excited to see those stories yeah Rachel you uh I mean we're jumping ahead a little bit but as soon as the episode was over like the first thing out of your mouth was that was great um did this moment have a lot to do with that Yeah, well, I felt like, yeah, like, um, I agree with Ty that the people seem like they turned, uh, they turned a corner real fast, but it also (laughs) kind of implied it wasn't like right away because they, I just loved those scenes of like, the people studying the Enterprise and like, you know, like thinking about the Enterprise. And like, for me, I was like, oh, like, it's justifying its own existence and not just Star Trek, but like all sci-fi. Like it's like really like, Oh, it can really just like make us, you know, we can think about the enterprise and study or like think about how things could be in a way that seems so absurd, but actually like can make us think about our own lives and our own society in just like a different way by like taking us to this like totally different world. And it just made me feel so happy and proud to be a fan of all of these things. Cause, and it made me reflect on the ways in which like not just Star Trek, but like other sci-fi has like really expanded my mind and helped me to like be more open-minded and, think about things in different ways and so in that way i was just like this you know this one hour of tv it had so many things it was like you know i was entertained you know i was horny i was like (laughs) i was like uh i was inspired we laughed we cried yeah it was just so many different emotions (laughs) i forget what exact point in the episode it was but i had this moment where i literally had to uh, pause it and turn to my wife and and say like this could be i think it was when the enterprise kind of first appears in the sky yeah. and i just said to say like this could be like this could happen right like right, so, like right yeah and and 
Star Trek has even done scenes similar to this before, but there's something about this depiction of like kind of the people looking up in the sky and, and the story so far that it brought us to that point that it kind of gave me chills. Yeah. And the certitude, I think certainly struck me because when he does say, well, I've got the biggest stick, like it's more than just, um, it's, it's more than confidence. It's almost like he's reacting to a degree of petulance and he knows that he's never in any real danger. Right. You know, like even if they pull guns on him, it's like, guys, come on. I'm on a whole other level. I'm just trying to help you. Just listen to what I have to say. But what I will say about the characterization and, you know, back to kind of pedantic continuity time, we got a lot of information about um, what precipitated World War III. We've gotten the most information than I think we've ever really gotten outside of uh, like combining the eugenics wars and World War III basically into the world war three is like the ultimate result of all of those smaller conflicts in introducing a second American civil war, which is uh, to me, that was the critical thing because as much as it's like, Oh cool. We got a lot of really good information for, for the star Trek canon nerd in me. Another part of me who uh, is active in the world that we live in today is weirdly like off put and thankful of the way that they've characterized this because it's world war three in previous depictions of star Trek has always been uh, kind of an abstraction. You know, we mm-hmm. see the, the results of world war three are briefly alluded to in first contact. There's been some lip service about earth going through a post atomic horror, but the use, the, the rather deft use of uh, very familiar stock footage to the world that we live in now really puts into perspective that unless we check those passions, that's a very real result. Like we have the capability to do that now. So what are we going to be like on the other side of that? I really hope that we don't have to go through that uh, in our own world. Um, But at the same time, I think that it's good to be reminded of the fact that this is a possibility uh, and we don't have to, like, it's all a choice. We don't have to give in to these baser impulses and we don't have to continuously feed ourselves garbage that makes us distrustful of our neighbors and, and, uh, and distrustful of people who might look differently from us or who think differently from us. Um, we have a choice, you know, and yes, it's a utopian vision. And I know that it's easy for, uh, people who might be a little more pessimistic or people who even describe themselves as pragmatic to look down on that. But really, like if if no one thinks that, then what's the end result going to be? If no one thinks that we can look beyond these rather, uh, in, I mean, I don't want to downplay the fact that the differences that people are experiencing now are deep and embedded. But at the end of the day, if there's an existential threat to humanity that results from these divisions, and aren't they worth putting aside or at least trying to and uh, and having this show characterize the ultimate result of such discord being such rampant destruction. It's a weird flavor of hope, but it's there, you know, and it's it's a really interesting way to introduce those ideas to the audience to say something about the world we live in and to add more to Star Trek's canon. So it's all yeah. like. It's all combining into this snowball of stuff that you can only get from this franchise. 
we uh, we we must uh if if to to borrow a phrase we must choose to live ha <laughs> oh got me right here man yeah it's true and we have that choice we have that choice um so we've only got like one very brief uh component of the episode left so the crew of the Enterprise avoids repercussions because of the top secret nature of the Discovery mission, but Starfleet doubles down on General Order 1 by renaming it the Prime Directive. Pike recommits to his role and agrees to captain the Enterprise on a new five-year mission of exploration. They also welcome Lieutenant George Samuel Kirk aboard as a science officer serving under Spock and off to warp. Um we didn't really mention Liana Noonien Singh very much in this episode, although she was a rather critical character to the plot here. Um, and, you know, a lot of questions still surround her name. Uh, she is descended from someone who is kind of involved with what ultimately happens in World War Three, as we now know. Um, but she was a really cool character. And we got a lot of just can- canonically speaking too, a lot of new information, horrifying information about the Gorn. Uh, species that we haven't seen since Enterprise and that we haven't really gotten any real information about since the original series. So uh, so that was cool too. And I'm really fascinated to see what they end up doing with Lan Noonien Singh as a character. I mean, honestly, I can't wait to meet Horak in the next episode, the, the Enar. You know, we're seeing an Enar for the first time since Enterprise. Um, but that's where we're left with with episode one uh rachel at the end of episode one just like take it take us how how does it leave you especially now several days later well i'm just super bummed i can't watch the next episode (laughs) when it comes out because i'm gonna be going on a trip so you watch it on a plane uh yeah but i don't i'm not going on a trip with you so that means i have to figure out how to watch it on a plane by myself and it's that just seems like a lot of work (laughs) (laughs) like i'm gonna listen to an audiobook on the plane (laughs) fair enough uh yeah i'm just excited i'm just excited to see more i hope and like you i have this like anticipation like oh well that peaked like it's probably just gonna it's all downhill from here um so i'm I'm really hoping that it stays good you got an end to an episode you were doubtful of an episodic kind of structure and there are going to be some character serialized moments but structurally speaking yes there was a conclusion yeah which i did like very good so. all right well we'll see if it maintains the momentum uh ty final thoughts on this episode yeah uh I really liked it. And, and, you know, it's um, something about it, like, you know, being able to watch it on the day that it premieres and feeling like I I am a part of that conversation as it's happening. Um, You know, I did that with Discovery and with Picard and stuff like that. But again, because this is the Enterprise, like, and just because of where this is in the timeline, it somehow feels like I'm invited to star trek in a new way um by watching this show um watching the original series alongside it is uh is gonna be fun and you know i'm not the kind of person who's gonna get overly distracted by any like you know perceived conflicts or questions about the canon it's all just kind of added uh texture for me 
um, to enjoy. But the thing that left me most excited is something that I mentioned earlier, which is just it really feels like, um, you know, I'm just thinking back to TNG. We're going to get these episodes um, that really dig deep into certain characters. And, you know, maybe we get a... a, um, like it feels like we're going to have opportunities to kind of go through the little personal side quests of each of these crew members. And maybe I'm wrong, but it's really easy to picture, right? That one, one week we're going to have, Oh, it turns out chapel, um, you know, has this other side mission going on because she's on loan, right. From somewhere. And, um, you know, her is, you know, this prodigy, but she's brand new and she's in training and like, wait, you know, I don't know. Is there some family thing she needs to figure out? Like, is there, so where are we going to, you know, what adventure are we going to go on with her and right on down the line through all these characters and to have that room to just kind of live with them and sit with them and have those experience without having this constant rush in the background right of worrying about what are we doing to advance the main arc of the story right um i think is going to be a different like pace of watching a you know a different experience of watching star trek than i've become used to recently and one that i'm really really uh looking forward to so it's a really nice kind of change of pace uh but still wonderfully familiar in the the weekly you know stuff to watch routine oh sure yeah we always do the portmanteau of the character name and episode so like there will be a spock episode, and there will be an ahura sode and there's gonna be a chapel sode and you know it's gonna gonna run the game a horak episode maybe we'll see. <laughs> uh cicero what are your final thoughts my friend i um I look for, I am eagerly looking forward to the next episode to see if we get a captain's log. Um, if we get that opening VO of a captain's log, then I know that we're, this is where we are, right? Now we're in familiar territory. Um, and I, you know, I think that would, that would probably put me at ease in terms of like, them saying that they wanted to do an episodic type of show and, and them really kind of like, there is a template for what a Star Trek episodic show sounds like. Um, and if they follow that template, I think that'll make everyone feel good. Um, it will definitely allow me to believe that they've got a focus and, you know, there's, there is going to be the Star Trek sh- stories Right. Like we'll get some star, very Star Trek episodes that are, you know, self-contained episodes that it, that present some of the best, the very best of what this franchise has brought to us over the years. Um, and if they do that, the thing that's going to be very interesting for me is seeing how they're able to do that in 10 episodes without us feeling like that's not even close to enough time with with this crew right where whereas i felt like with all of all of the shows that we've watched so far in 10 or 12 or 14 episodes i felt like okay you know like I need a break, right? I need a break from this crew because they've just been through too much. Um, 
with these guys going on 10 separate uh 10 separate adventures um that are kind of all self-contained adventures as they as they move along on their five-year mission i i have this feeling won't be enough and that's a great thing sure yeah no very very well said i mean i don't really have anything to add i think i I think I went as pretty much as far as I could other than to say that now nah, this was, it's still fresh. This is the best episode of TV I've seen in a really long time, like a really long time. Yeah. Um, I, I loved this episode. Uh, I, like I said, I've been waiting for it for a long time. Maybe that's colored my perceptions. If you get back to me in a year, maybe I'll think differently. But um, even in comparison to other Star Trek pilots, this one seems like it might take the cake. You know, I think about, um, I don't know, you, you, the cage is kind of in a class all its own, but this is certainly better than Encounter at Farpoint. Right. This might be better than Emissary for DS9. Mm-hmm. It's probably better than Caretaker on Voyager. Yeah. Um, Broken Bow. Broken Bow's a really good pilot. Yeah. Uh, so maybe that's a little harder to say. Uh, right now I'm leaning strange new worlds, but that just might be appeal to novelty on my part. Um, Vulcan hello was solid as a two parter though. So it wasn't really, didn't really get things done in one episode. Um, and then gosh, I can't even remember the, the first episode's title of Picard. Um, it was, it was fine, but it wasn't this and lower decks is a whole other thing. So this might be up there, you know, when I run the gamut, um, but we'll see. You know, I should, I need to have a cooling off period when the season's <laughs> over because I'm too, I'm too into it right now, but nice to hear that. I think that at least when it comes to this panel, uh, we're all reasonably uniform in our optimism for what this show presented, you know, it's star Trek classic. They're doing the Coca-Cola thing worked right. for them. Why not do it for star Trek? And it seems like uh, pretty solid results. I have, um, Rather unfairly, I think now, uh, cursed Akiva Goldsman's name for his involvement in Batman and Robin. He's <laughs> redeemed himself. Uh, okay. Um, but no, this is a stellar first episode, and I can't wait to talk about the others with all of you. This will be, this is going to be fun. <laughs> but looking um, forward to it. Yes, yes, most definitely. That's going to do it for episode number 76 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show wherever you found it. It only takes a minute. And let us know you wrote one. We'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, where you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles. And feel free to send us questions through Twitter our Facebook like page, or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes and be sure to join us next time as we discuss, and I can't believe I'm saying this, the next adventure of the Starship Enterprise. The human adventure is just beginning. So until we meet again, please go boldly, my friends. (laughs) 